This morning we have a very important reading out of Romans. Of course, as soon as you say you're reading out of Romans, that means it's an important reading. Uh, it's a little bit longer than our average reading, so we're going to allow you to remain seated and we'll stand for the song that'll follow. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the, inher- the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and its promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he, Abraham, believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. May God bless the reading of his word. Now see, it was worth coming out in all the cold just to sing that song. Uh, A few years ago, well, many years ago, I did a survey of this congregation as to what their favorite hymns were and songs were, and that was number one. When I moved to Tyler, I did the same survey and found out it was that church's number one favorite, too. So it ranks high up there, I think, on all of our list. Well, I've got to ask a question. Reading that lengthy passage, did any of you have a little bit of trouble following the logic? You know, Paul is such a deep thinker. Paul was a very educated man, had the equivalent of what today we would have as a Ph.D., And whenever he wrote, especially in his letter to the Romans, uh, he wrote a very deep and very important things. And sometimes his sentences just go on and on and on. And it's a little hard for us to kind of keep up with where he's going. 
So to begin the sermon today, I want to just tell you that that lengthy passage was basically saying one thing. And I want to tell you now what it is. So if you have plans to kind of tune out during the sermon time, if you will just listen to this, all right, you've got it. Here it goes. Just as God considered Abraham to be his friend, because Abraham believed what seemed to be an impossible promise that God had made to him, so also... God will consider us to be his friends if we believe what seems to be an impossible promise that God has made to us. That is such a key point in Scripture. To understand the new covenant, to understand God's salvation history, To understand the whole point of all the Bible, we've got to get that one statement. Let me say it again. It's that important. Switch it up a little, but it says the same thing. God made Abraham a promise, and that promise seemed to be impossible to keep. Yet Abraham believed that God not only could, but that he would fulfill that promise he had made to him. And because Abraham had that kind of faith in God, Abraham, or God, called Abraham his friend. Also, God has made us a promise that in our experience of life seems almost impossible for him to keep. But yet, if we believe that God can keep the promise He has made and will keep the promise that He has made, God will consider us His friends as well. Can you think of anything more important to know about God and about His plan to redeem us as His children than that? Well, since it's so important, we're going to give it a few minutes more to talk about just what it is that Paul is saying in this amazing passage. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, he assumed that his readers knew the basic outline of the story of Abraham. Now, the church in Rome began as a Jewish church, as did most all the churches in that area. And certainly the Jewish members of that church knew Abraham well. They had grown up on the story of Abraham. They called him Father Abraham. They called themselves children of Abraham. So they knew that story. However, as Gentiles began coming into the church, we know that one of the first stories they learned was the story of Abraham. Because they had to understand what God did with Abraham in order to understand what God had done with them as well. So therefore, when Paul wrote to the Roman church, he could assume that they knew what he was talking about when he jumps into the middle of the story of Abraham. Now, for most of you, that works too. However, since we may have some that can't quite pull up that story and maybe have heard it before but can't really remember what the details are, we want to kind of review just for a moment 
the basic parts of the story that Paul is referring to. Abraham was born in a large city named Ur. U-R. Ur. Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was the center of civilization for his generation. They've done a lot of excavation of the city of Ur. They've discovered their plumbing for running water and sewage. and they, It was a very sophisticated, developed society there at the time that Abraham lived there. However, as a young man, Abraham and his wife Sarah accompanied Abraham's dad named Terah and his brother named Nahor and a nephew named Lot from a brother who had passed away there at Ur. They accompanied the father as he made a pilgrimage, a journey from Ur up to the backwoodsy town of Haran, up in what today would be northern Syria. And there the family settled in, and there they prospered. We read in the story that Abraham acquired flocks, he acquired servants, and the family did well there. However, the one thing that did not happen there was Abraham and Sarah had no children. Now, it's obvious that they wanted children as we read the story. Children were something that that had been so precious to them, and they wanted to have a family. And back then, your whole future depended upon you having a family. And yet, it just didn't happen. So one day when Abraham was 75 years old, that used to sound old, by the way, when Abraham was 75 years old, his wife was 65 years old, God speaks to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to get your family together and move about 400 miles to the southwest to the land of Canaan. And if you will do that, I will make you the father of many nations. Now, what word in that statement do you think that Abraham jumped at? Father. No one up till that time had ever called Abraham father. And for God to say, I will make you the father of a great nation, and later to say many nations, Abraham was ready to go. Couldn't see how it happened. He was already 75. He had friends who were 75. They weren't having children. It didn't happen at that age. But off they went. Abraham, Sarah, Lot went with them, all the servants. And when they got down to the land of Canaan, and as Abraham pitched his tent, built an altar, God appeared to him again and said, Abraham, look around. You see this land? I'm going to give this land to your children. Again, in that statement, what is the word that Abraham treasured? It wasn't just land. Land was important then as land's important now. But what he heard was children. That's what he wanted. Yet the years passed. And this promise that God has made 
was not fulfilled. If you know your story of Abraham well, you know there was a brief time they were in Egypt, and that's an interesting story. And then he has some problems with his nephew Lot, and that's interesting too. We don't have time to get into all of those. But one of them look at chapter 15 of Genesis, where when Abraham was 85 years old, God comes to him again. But Abraham's ready this time. And when God starts speaking to Abraham, Abraham says, wait a minute. You keep talking to me about children. Hello? <laughs> Look at me. I'm 85 years old. Sarah's 75 years old. What do you want from us? Now, was he expressing doubt that God could do this? Not so much, not according to Paul, not according to the rest of the story, but how he was going to do it. He had been thinking, well, maybe he wants us to adopt children. He says, what about Eliezer, my servant? Is that who my son is going to be? Are my descendants going to come through an adopted child? Adoption was a valid thing back then, just as it is right now. Those who can't have children biologically can adopt, and those are their children. And their grandchildren. And their great-grandchildren. So Abraham's thinking in those terms. God says no. In fact, he says, what I want you to do is come out of that tent and walk out into the night air and look up. Now, you can imagine how impressive that was. These days, even living in a town the size of San Angelo, what do you see when you walk outside and look up? Lately, clouds, which have been a blessing. But even when there's no clouds in the sky, we see a few stars because of all the light that's diffused in our atmosphere. We can't quite see it. But all of us, I hope, have been out somewhere when in the pitch black you can walk outside and look up and there they are, just a whole sky full of stars. Let's pick up the reading in Genesis chapter 15, there in verse 5. God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven. Start counting the stars if you're able to count them. And he says, this is how many descendants you will have. And the scripture says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it, counted it, considered it righteousness. Now, centuries later, James quoted this passage when he wrote his letter, the letter of James all the way over there toward the end of the New Testament. And he said this, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, which another way to say that was, he became the friend of God. You see, righteousness in Scripture is all about a relationship. A good synonym for righteousness in Scripture is friendship. It is two beings coming together in love 
and in mutual trust. Friendships and relationships are built upon trust, aren't they? Having faith in one another. Those friends that we have, we trust them. We trust them with ourselves. We trust them when they say they'll do something. We believe they'll do it. And therefore, God says, that's what I want from you, Abraham. And if you will trust me, if you will believe when I tell you something as outlandish as an 85-year-old man and a 75-year-old woman having a baby, if you will believe that, we'll be friends. If you have that kind of faith in me. Well, that's not the end of the story. The baby wasn't born that year, was he? The baby wasn't born for another 15 years. It just seems like God is just waiting to see how long Abraham will trust him. Is this faith for real? Is it going to last a lifetime? Finally, as Paul points out, when Abraham was about a hundred years old. And Paul defines that or describes that in an interesting way. That Abraham realized he was as good as dead. <laughs> now, that can be interpreted in a lot of ways. But certainly when it came to fathering children, he says, my body's dead. And when I look to the barrenness of the womb of my wife, Sarah, who is now 90. But Paul says that didn't stop Abraham. Abraham continued to believe. It says he hoped against hope. I don't know if Abraham shared this with anyone else, you know. But I can just imagine that if he told people, he said, you know, Sarah and I are going to have a baby one day. How do you think his friends on earth replied to that? <laughs> what are you talking about? Give it up, Abraham. It's not going to happen. I know there was no hope. He had never seen it happen before. It was something unknown and unseen for couples that age to have children. But Paul stresses, hoping against hope, he continued to believe. And his trust in the Lord never wavered. And it says that as he kept his faith in the Lord, his faith grew stronger because he spent his life giving glory to God. I love that little blurb in there. That has been such an important little scripture to me. Do I want my faith to grow? Then spend my life giving glory to God. What does that mean? Well, it means I live in a way that brings honor to His name. I try to make decisions in how I use my body, what I do with my body, what I do with my life, what I do with my time, that these things will reflect favorably upon my God and that people will know that I'm His child, not so they'll praise me, but they'll praise God and say, wow, and bring glory to His name. So Abraham, as he lived his life, painting that nursery, <laughs> buying the crib, acting like it was really going to happen, because it was. Then his faith grew even stronger. Till one day, it happened. The unbelievable. Y'all know what they named the baby, don't you? Isaac. You know what Isaac means. Laughter. 
They said many reasons why they said that, but Sarah said when people hear a 90-year-old woman just had a baby, they're all going to laugh. But it was holy laughter as well. Laughter and rejoicing that God had done what he said he would do. But Abraham knew he would because he was Abraham's friend. Want to be friends with God? Wouldn't that be wonderful for God to call each one of our names and says, this is my friend? Well, the point of this passage is you can, too, be a friend of God. Just like Abraham, you can be God's friend because you can become his friend in the same way that Abraham did. God made him a promise that just didn't seem like it could ever happen. It just won't work. And yet it did. And Abraham became his friend for living his life and believing that he would keep, God would keep that promise. Well, Paul closes this passage by saying, we've been given a promise. And the promise that we've been given is a lot like the promise that Abraham had been given. Don't worry, older couples. I don't think you're going to have another child. Okay? That's not the promise. But the promise does have something to do with life coming out of death. You see, in our world, we think of death as the final thing, don't we? We've never seen anyone keep on going after they died. Death is the final story. Death is the final conclusion to our story as far as we experience it. It seems impossible that there could be something more than that. And yet, God allowed His Son to die to show us that He can do the impossible. He raised Him from the dead and gave Him new life. And the promise that He made in doing that is He'll do the same thing for you. That that is not the end of life. That God who created life in the beginning can create life again. He showed us when He did it with His Son... And he will show each one of us who believe him and trust him. Do you want to be a friend of God? Believe him when he says, there is more to this life than what you see right now. You are called upon to live your life with a nobler purpose. You are called upon to live your life in a way that brings honor and glory to God and to his promises. And if you will do that, if you will organize your life Based on that promise, if you will live your life believing that this is what it was going to be whenever this earthly life is over, God will smile upon you and God will say, you're my friend. What greater blessing could we ever have? What greater hope could we ever have? We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song together, and we're going to have some of our leaders around this uh, perimeter of this room. And if you are moved to become friends with God, if you are moved to give your life to living a life of faith, believing His promise, or perhaps you have done that, and yet you carry a burden of something in your life that is weighing you down, spiritually, physically, or a burden with some family member or friend, don't miss this opportunity. Live your life in faith and bring glory to God, your friend. Let's stand and sing.